Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org. And from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm your host, Bob Zaltzberg, along with co-host Lucas Gonzalez. Lucas was here with us last week when we talked to the new city council members. And today we have the pleasure of talking with the newly elected mayor of Bloomington, Mayor Mayor Kerry Thompson. You can join us uh, online. You can send questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org. You can also follow us on X, formerly Twitter, and send questions there at Noon Edition. We are not going to be taking phone calls today, but you certainly can reach us during the show. Well, Carrie, nice to have you on the air today. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, let's let's talk about um, just in general, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start with this very general question about, you know, you've been in office now, today's the 26th, so 26 days. What have your days been like? My days have been full. Um, <laughs> it has, um, it's just been a really tremendous privilege to step into this role leading the city of Bloomington. And, um, you know, I've spent a considerable amount of time uh, getting to know uh, city staff members over the past three plus weeks. Um, I've been doing listening sessions in every department um, of the city, just as I did throughout the city during my campaign and will continue to do um, throughout my administration. But I really felt like it was uh, important to spend uh, some significant investment meeting and um, listening to all of the city staff members who actually make the city work. And um, then I've been um, really getting rolling on some different assessments and um, getting my arms around uh, several of the big capital projects that were already in play at the city um, from the former administration. Let me follow up a little bit on these listening sessions that you've been doing. Are there any common themes that are emerging or does every department have different things they want to talk to you about? Uh, Sure, there are common themes. you know, one of one of the most exciting and also uh, sometimes hardest to uh, hardest to plan for, uh, get our arms around is that our city team really um, sees the possibility of uh, many, many other ways to serve um, in in addition to what we're already doing. Um, but the, we just don't have the capacity to expand uh, at a staffing level uh, or a resource level. And so we're hearing a lot about that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, the other theme I would say is that our city team really loves to work for the people of Bloomington and uh, loves to serve. And many of them are, um, I, w- I would say, most of them are excited to come to work every day and um, and really love to serve the public. So Lucas Gonzalez is here. Lucas is city hall reporter um, and covers county government, city government for WFIU, WTIU News. So I'm going to turn it over to him now for his first question. All right. Thanks, Bob. And Mayor Thompson, thanks for being with us today. It's good to have you on the show. Um, we've talked a little bit about this before. Uh, we've had you in the newsroom to, to discuss things like this, and, and you even mentioned it yourself with ongoing capital projects. But just as a refresher, you know, what remaining projects or what projects that started under the previous administration uh, do you think need to be tackled first? Yeah, so the, the two big ones um, are Showers West and Hopewell. Um, but we also have, uh, so those are the two big capital projects. Showers West, of course, is the acquisition of the west side of 
the Showers building. Uh, the east side, of course, is City Hall now. Um, the Hamilton administration acquired the west side of the building and um, started, uh, they, they developed plans for um, moving public safety over there. Um, and uh, then Hopewell is uh, the neighborhood that is, has uh, the infrastructure of which has started. That's at the old hospital site. Um, and so those are two very significant capital projects that are underway. Um, but there's also a, um, a compensation study that was done under the old administration that um, had not been released or implemented yet. Uh, so we're, we're looking at that. Uh, and then, uh, as you know, um, I have also announced uh, several different assessments that we'll do to, um, to really level set and get us ready to, um, to really uh, lead the city well, uh, including a financial audit and an assessment of all of our pending litigation. So a couple of things that I wanted to follow up with you on um, based on what you just said. You know, you mentioned the project to relocate uh, the police department. Uh, what does the current time frame look like for that project? Uh, there is no time frame for the project yet. Um, we need to respond to bids by February 9th. And so I have uh, put together uh, the Showers West advisory team. Um, you'll love the acronym as much as I do. It's SWAT. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so that team has met once. Uh, they'll meet at least two more times with a target of having recommendations for what to do with uh, these, how to respond to these bids uh, by February 9th. And, you know, still speaking uh, about Showers West, you know, earlier this week uh, we learned, uh, so there, there are several tenants still in, in that portion of the building, and, and we learned this week that uh, at least six of them, they don't want to move at this point. They're not uh, interested in, in moving out of the building early. Um, will this change your approach to the project in any way or change your, I mean, you said there's no timeline. How will it affect the project, uh, do you think? It is the uh, early termination of these leases and the fact that we have several that just don't want to uh, terminate the lease early, of course, is a significant factor, uh, both financially and uh, ethically in how we move forward. And so uh, it's it's one of several uh, factors that is going to contribute to the decision-making process. And, you know, also you mentioned the um, series of re reviews into ongoing city work and, and resident-led groups, uh, working groups on Showers West. I'm curious, what role will that working group have and, and how will their involvement help the project uh, advance? Anytime you're doing especially a, a significant capital project, um, it is always best practice to, to assess midway and make sure that you are uh, both getting what you need out of the project and that financially you are still on track with being able to meet the intended outcomes. Uh, this is a fresh set of eyes uh, that uh, that e each person at the table has different skills uh, and backgrounds to help us ask good questions to ensure that um, we really are taking a look at Showers West and uh, we'll assemble a similar team for Hopewell to make sure that we are getting the best possible outcomes for our city. All right, uh, we're talking with Mayor Kerry Thompson today, Mayor of Bloomington on Noon Edition. You can send your questions to news at indianapublicmedia.org and you can also follow us on X, formerly Twitter, at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there. Kerry, and you know, I've known Kerry Thompson for a long time, so uh, hopefully it's no disrespect to call you Kerry. Uh, I, 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 I want to know, I guess I want to know if I should read anything into the fact that you didn't mention the convention center in that list, or is that, are you looking at that as a county project and it's not as high on your agenda as the others? Oh, no, don't read anything okay. into the fact right. that I did not mention the convention center. 
Um, we have a great CIB um, assembled for that. Uh, and my hope is that the convention center is going to move forward. Um, I, you know, that that is a joint project with the county. And um, at this stage, in many ways, they're taking a fresh look at it. Um, that's what the CIB is doing. And so I have not appointed a new team to look at the convention center because um, because we we have a CIB working and um, and they're still at the planning stages. On Hopewell, uh, I'm gonna move on to Hopewell. I, Lucas may have another question about the convention center, but I wanna move on to Hopewell really quickly because Hopewell is one of those areas where people who are following the news probably know where Hopewell is, but it's one of those sort of amorphous things right now that there are all sorts of opportunities for what might happen there, but no real specific plans for what could happen there. So I, I guess I want to ask you, what would be your vision of what Hopewell could look like, you know, three, five, three to four years from now? So Hopewell is a, is a huge opportunity for the city. Um, those who are following the news, I think you're right, um, know a little bit about Hopewell, but they probably also think that having a master plan means we know exactly what's going to happen there. That's not true at all. Um, a master plan just gives guidance for what could happen there and what we hope might happen there. And, you know, the goal of Hopewell was really to provide a mixed income neighborhood, but especially workforce housing. And um, workforce housing means housing that people who work in Bloomington can afford to live in. We don't have enough of that housing. And Hopewell is a tremendous opportunity to have some housing for people who work here that's close to, well, is actually in the downtown area, is walkable to many things, right near Kroger, of course, many other services nearby. And what I'm really hoping happens at Hopewell is that not only do we provide some great workforce housing there, uh, but we also begin to imagine what is happening um, and, and how a um, neighborhood like Hopewell can contribute to our downtown. How are people experiencing the beeline and the space between the Trades District and Hopewell, which also, by the way, includes that new convention center. How are people live, work, living, working, and playing all in that area? And what other amenities do we need to attract to make that, um, that entire space really come alive and be an asset to our city? Before I move away from that, can you explain the city's investment in Hopewell? Yes, so the city has purchased the um, land from uh, from IU Health and uh, also is investing in the infrastructure there, uh, much through grant funding, um, but uh, the city does have significant um, funding ties to Hopewell. And uh, thus far, the vision has been that the city is the developer at Hopewell. So this is a pretty unique experience for the city, not usually a, a housing developer. Um, and being the developer does not mean that the city is going to build those houses. Um, the developer is, uh, is the one that facilitates the infrastructure and then builders come in and uh, construct the actual housing. Um, it's a pretty, pretty unique investment on the city's part. Thank you. Mayor Thompson, I just wanted to go back to the convention center uh, real quickly. You know, we talked about um, this before in, in previous conversations about city projects. And, and you know, just as a, a refresher for our, our listeners here, in order for that project to advance, the city and county have to sign off on what's called an interlocal agreement. Um, we've heard from the county recently in the past month or so that they still have some hangups possibly on that interlocal. Has there been any progress on that front since the last time that we talked about this? Um, and, you know, what are you hearing from the county in terms of what they'd like to see? There has been progress. And, um, you know, we, we are in active conversation over that. As you know, the former mayor uh, signed off on that interlocal, as did the city council. 
but the um, county counterparts had not signed off on it yet. Um, we we have made some um, edits that are mutually agreeable, um, and since those edits, which which frankly were just agreed to, they they've been iterative. So there've been um, there've been a few different requests from the county, uh, but uh, we it's my understanding that the the most recent requests have been agreed to and. Uh, so from my perspective, we're in um, we're in active partnership moving forward, and I hope that we're getting closer to signing off. Can you be more, a little bit more specific about what those edits entail? Oh, they they entail uh, some of it is just wording um, that is pretty non-substantive. Um, others uh, have um, have been conversations about who is making up different committees, um, particularly uh, the um, the team at the city that will oversee the uh, the building financials and um, who can and cannot be on that team. One more convention center question that came through. Our producer says the convention center has been a project that's been going on for what seems like forever in Bloomington. Do you have a timeline you would like to have this done by or some significant progress made? Well, I would love it if by, you know, the end of this year, we had a real timeline for when we would be moving into that new convention center. And I don't think that's an unrealistic um, expectation. I think we'll, um, well, I hope it's not unrealistic. Uh, to do a, a significant project like this, though, um, we have a lot of architecture and infrastructure design to get done and agreed to. And um, but I think we have the the right team assembled, and I think we can we can get it done. So uh, I'm going to change topics here real quick. Um, thanks for your responses there. I wanted to just follow up on a different topic. Um, on our show last week, we we talked in pretty great detail with the new city council members about homelessness and affordable housing, as well as possible solutions. I know that those are really broad topics, but do you have any ideas for addressing things like home, homelessness and affordable housing in Bloomington? I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> Um, mine may not be the best ideas, um, and I have learned a lot listening to the community over the past um, year and a half, almost two years, and I'm learning even more listening to our team here at the city. Um, we we have, um, when it comes to affordable housing, and I, I, I want to be clear that I think that our community um, is not unlike other communities in that um, we we think that affordable housing and homelessness are solved the same way. And in some ways, that is sort of true. But in other ways, it's not. Um, we have a housing stock problem in terms of affordable housing. In Bloomington, we have a housing economy where our rents frequently outpace our average wages. And so what we need to look at are how do we is how do we ensure that we have enough units that are available to the workforce and also in what is called the affordable housing market. And affordable housing technically means people who are at 80% or below of the area median income. Now, obviously, to solve homelessness, you need housing. That's, you know, that's the, it's the root of homelessness. You need housing. The fact is, though, housing first does not mean housing only. And um, we both need to get people into a place with a roof over their head and many of our street homeless people right now are experiencing really significant levels of mental health and substance use crisis. And so we also need to develop a healthcare approach 
that will care for people with the services that they need. And that's going to need to work in tandem with the housing plan. Carrie, we talked last week with the council members, and, and I know you and I have had this conversation before, too. It seems to me, I'm not going to be, be able to remember the words, but you, you had another term for affordable housing. Was it attainable housing? Yes. Yeah. Can you explain that? So, uh, you know, when people talk about affordable housing, um, housing providers hear this technical term that I just talked about, mm -hmm. which is 80% or below of the area median income. I've been talking about attainable housing because what we need really is a spectrum of housing that is attainable no matter what your income level is. And if you talk to, um, if, if you talk to business leaders in the community, if you talk to the administration at the university, they'll tell you that even the highest paid new employees trying to move into Bloomington cannot live here. And it's not because they don't have enough money, it's because there's nothing on the market for them. And so in order to develop a, um, a spectrum of housing that really works and a supply of housing that really works, we need that to be attainable at all levels, whether you're middle income, low income, or high income. And let me follow up. We talked with uh, some of the council members last week and, and this, this is the market of the zero to $400 a month would seem to be a really difficult market because nobody, probably no developer wants to be in that market because they don't think they can make any money off of it. How do you put people who really are at the lowest end of this spectrum into housing without a great deal of, of government support? That's a great question, Bob. The only way I know how to do it is with housing vouchers. Mm -hmm. um, that's government support. Um, there is, I would, this is not a scientific answer, but uh, an experiential answer. I would guess that there is nothing that is built to code that is available in the city of Bloomington for $400 or less. Mm -hmm. So that would necessitate some kind of voucher system or um, these uh, developments that are single room occupancy, uh, which are um, fully subsidized. Mm -hmm. From your, your, you know, you mentioned, you know, your experience, your, ex, ex, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly how you said it, but your experience with Habitat for Humanity, um, how much has that informed your ideas about how we could move forward on, on this lower cost housing issue in Bloomington? Oh, it's, it's informed it a tremendous amount. There were uh, many things that I uh, experienced and experimented with, pilot programs and things at Habitat that uh, allowed me to um, understand what practically can work and what is really impractical and just not feasible. Um, the other thing is that, that I know what it takes to get from um, looking at a piece of property to having a neighborhood built on it and because because i've led that before and i've done it it is no small feat and i think the general public um, probably doesn't understand uh, the many different pieces that have to come into play to make something work and just to give an example you know meeting with this developer today they're they're a very experienced developer they know how to do affordable housing. They didn't know that they were going to hit an old quarry <laughs> when they were excavating and it was just full of limestone. Um, it was actually an old mill. Um, they also didn't know several other possibilities, all of which came to pass in sort of a, a perfect storm. A developer never really knows what they're getting into. And so when we watch a plan commission meeting and and we're thinking, wow, you know, this is how much this is going to cost supposedly, and, and this is what the developer wants to do, that developer probably already has, depending on the size of the development, half a million to three quarters of a million dollars invested in just the planning phase. Um, 
and and then we get into what we couldn't see before we started moving dirt. Um, so it's incredibly complex. Uh, it does take time to produce housing stock, which is one of the reasons that when we have affordable housing stock, naturally occurring affordable housing stock, um, it is important to preserve it when we can. One more question about this, and then I'm going to turn it over to Lucas to, for whatever path he wants to follow. But you mentioned that you can't, that your experiences have helped you be able to sort of separate the practical from the impractical. Can you say a little bit more about that? What, what looks practical to you and what looks impractical to you when it comes to this issue? Well, for instance, um, you know, we can talk, so Bloomington likes to talk a lot about um, how things look. And um, which is great because our built environment contributes to our experience in our community. And there are really practical ways to make housing look really good and have it contribute to the people who are living in it and to the neighborhood it's around it. Um, there are also things that um, frankly are um, are expensive and don't um, don't contribute significantly either to the to the neighborhood or to the experience. Um, one such uh, example is the kind of siding that you put on the house. If you have a low income family moving into a home, you want to both make it look great and have it be as maintenance free as possible especially in a home ownership model. Um, so we have to look at all of the factors and ensure that, you know, housing is built for people. Um, and we, we have to make it work for the people who are going to live in it. Okay. Thank you. Lucas? Yeah. Mayor Thompson, a quick follow-up question uh, related, but more specifically about homelessness. Uh, I'll preface it just by saying, you know, just yesterday the city began the process of, of clearing a, a homeless encampment uh, that was the site of, unfortunately, two recent homicides. Um, before that, earlier this month, there was a set, another uh, encampment that was cleared that there were some public uh, safety issues, concerns at that location as well. And I'm just curious, you know, how can we help people who are experiencing homelessness but also prevent a situation where the city has to forcefully remove people from where they're staying? Lucas, if I had the answer to that question, I would be able to solve homelessness for the world, perhaps. Um, that That is the million dollar question. And um, so what we're doing right now, um, you know, the anybody will tell you that if you are working with people in crisis, you're more likely to experience a crisis, right? <laughs> Um, and uh, that that's true, and I, I think it's it, it is it is also true um, proportionately speaking. People who are most in crisis uh, are those crises really um, compound, and um, so our work and and I do not pretend that we're going to get this perfect coming out of the gate. And I would love to have the support of the community as we pilot some things and we work to understand how we can really provide a systems approach that is of the highest compassion and dignity and provide safety. Mm -hmm. A quick, and so, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no, please, please finish your thoughts. Well, so, you know, there has been a, um, there has been an approach of trying not to disturb encampments if they are not uh, unsafe or are not a, um, not disturbing others. And, um, but when they become unsafe and we, send outreach workers and our downtown resource officers out to um, address particular safety concerns, and then they keep reoccurring, 
we really get into a situation where we need to we need to disrupt that camp. Um, and so my my hope is that uh, as we learn to do better, we will do better. And as we move into a situation where I hope we get, which is where we can say to everybody who is from here, we have a roof to offer you for the night or for the month, for however long you need it. Mm -hmm. uh, and the services to support you. That's where I hope we get. And until we get there, I think that we will have to continue to learn how to, um, how to ensure safety so that we don't have to move people unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm also curious, you know, when, when a camp, when a homeless encampment is cleared, do you have a, a clear indication of in the two recent cases where uh, the people who were staying at those camps by and large end up going? Do you, do you is there a way to track that? Well, our um, our homeless service providers, if they are accessing services from most of the providers, we are able to track that. And one of the um, one of the things that has been happening um, in collaboration with heading home is that there there is a um, case meeting where um, caseworkers are talking about, especially the most vulnerable. It is, you know, not, um, it's not appropriate to publicize exactly where people go, sure. um, but, uh, but they are tracked if they're receiving some services. Mm -hmm. All right, I wanna give our, uh, our contact information again in case you have a question for Bloomington Mayor Kerry Thompson. News at indianapublicmedia.org is how you can send in your question. And you can also find us on Twitter or now X at Noon Edition. You can send us questions there. Lucas, sounds like you wanted to follow up on something. Yeah, yeah. Just one more thing and then I'll turn it back to you, Bob. Sure. Um, you know, I am also just wanted to know, this is kind of a two-parter. First off, do you have a sense for how many homeless encampments there are still in the city? But also... How does the city exactly define a camp? Um, I know that that is kind of maybe hard to gauge, uh, but is is there a way, uh, a threshold for you know differentiating between just a few people staying in one location versus a, an established encampment? I would say if somebody is sleeping somewhere, it's a camp. Um, if it's outside, uh, but no, we do not have. Uh, um, any kind of tiered system for how we're approaching these camps. Our approach is safety first and, um, and that when we do need to um, disrupt the camps, then um, dignity and compassion. I want to ask about um jobs and economic development. We're kind of switching gears a little bit, although the, you know everything's on a continuum when it comes to running the city, it seems to, seems to me, and you would know way, way more than I do. But when you think about you know, your vision for creating um, opportunities for people in Bloomington to have good jobs and to be able to you know, afford housing at whatever level they want, I mean, what are some of the you know, key priorities for you to helping um, bring in more people who, who may have employment for others and to raise wages for people who live here? Mm -hmm. So uh, not, to, not to beat uh, um, the same drum over and over again, Bob, but um, we are going to have trouble attracting large new employers without adequate housing. Um, so that is going to have to be a key to our attraction um, programs. In terms of wages, um, and, and I, you know, our team is actively working with um, Bloomington Economic Development Corporation and the Chamber on um, various economic development and, and attraction pieces. Um, 
in terms of uh, wages and uh, and the attraction piece, you know what what works really well is uh, cluster development. So um, we we know what we're good at in Bloomington. Um, we've we've known for a long time that um, our biopharmaceuticals, biotech is um, is a great industry for us, and we've seen that some um, you know we we had Cook, and then we were able to attract some similar companies here. Our university and Ivy Tech have been um, really responsive to that in terms of training um, training the people that we need and making sure that we have the expertise and the um, and the research to continue to do that. There's a really growing um, creative suite here, um, it, especially in the music industry. Um, and then, of course, uh, the defense sector, especially microelectronics, uh, which is really growing. And importantly, you know, Bloomington is um, Bloomington's not just a city in an island. We're part of a, uh, a dynamic region, and uh, many people who work at Crane live here in Bloomington. Um, we, of course, have an exciting new foundry going down at Westgate at Crane. Many of those people will be living here, and um, there are some really exciting things happening between the university, the trades district, and um, the industries down at Westgate um, to ensure that we are really uh, creating a community that um, that excites the graduates who are coming out of Luddy and um, the College of Arts and Sciences and the business school, especially um, to to stay here and to work in um, in some promising new industries here. Mayor Thompson, I'd like to ask ask a um reader question that we just got about this uh, particular topic, uh, speaking of uh, attracting talent and and so on and so forth. If you were to try and sell someone on Bloomington who's looking to move here, wh what would you highlight other than what you've, you know, a few of the things that you just mentioned? I would highlight our incredible quality of life. Um, you know, we, I, I have to say we have um, an amazing quality of life here in Bloomington. Uh, I think it's noticeable. Uh, it's something that I want to continue to work on as um, as the city's leader. Our arts community is thriving, and uh, I hope it will continue to grow and thrive and provide uh, not only performing arts, but visual arts um, and public art around the community. Um, we have uh, really a, just an incredible restaurant scene and, um, and you know, the food scene here is uh, really top notch. And, you know, it's a, my sister moved here, I think, um, I don't know, close to 18 years ago. She and her husband were looking for a place with no traffic report, but plenty of things to do. And that sounds so simple, um, but being able to go to world-class music every night of the week and um, still live in a place where most people can get to work within five or 10 minutes, um, and many of us can walk or bike to work, that is an incredible quality of place. I have a sort of a general question about this. This is philosophical, I guess. How, you know, we I think a lot of us, um, do see Bloomington as this fantastic place to live with all these opportunities. Some of these opportunities cost money, and it, it seems as if there's a Bloomington for a certain group of people, but then there is poverty, and there are people who can't participate in the Bloomington that we use to try to attract other people to the community. How can you, or how can the can the city be involved in narrowing that gap? I think the city's already doing some really um, great things to help narrow that gap. Um, you know, we have, uh, for instance, um, school partnerships uh, with our Parks and Rec Department. 
that allow access to um, schools to come use, uh, for instance, uh, Frank Southern um, is used for ice skating by the Templeton students. And um, I think we need to continue to look at opportunities like that where we have an asset that um, that may not be accessed by certain populations and um, ensure that we can um, really make the most out of them. Um, increasingly, Bloomington, uh, not unlike uh, many other places in the country, is um, is a place with a almost disappearing middle class. Um, and uh, we really need diversity of all kinds to make our city successful. And, um, you know, just to go back to, to the theme of the conversation, housing has to be part of that. Um, many people cannot afford to live in Bloomington, even though they work here and are driving sometimes two or three counties away uh, to get home at night. And um, there's not a lot of um, quality of life uh, especially for people with families, um, if you are uh, if you're half an hour away from where you work and um, can't go to your kids' school play or uh, can't pick them up easily from daycare when they're sick, um, so we need to look at that and ensure that um, that to to whatever extent we possibly can, we can. Um, provide housing that actually works for the people who work here. We have about 10 minutes to go in the program. We're talking with Carrie Thompson today. She's in her 26th day as mayor of Bloomington, so we can't uh, hold her accountable for a lot of issues yet. So we're just we're talking through a lot of the things that, that she sees and that she's seeing needs some work and some ways to address things. Um, I'm Bob Salzberg. Lucas Gonzalez is here with us. I wanted to... Uh, you know, follow up on a question that always has, kind. you know, I've been here a long time and it always kind of um, stumps me in a way because Bloomington always seems to have pretty high poverty numbers, yet we, we see a lot of prosperity in Bloomington as well. It's always been a question for me uh, as to how the college students are counted, all those kind of things. When you look at, a, at our city, um, how prosperous do you think it is? I mean, do you think are these poverty numbers that we see something that I'm, obviously we should be concerned about them, but how concerned should we be? I think we should be concerned about the poverty level. Um, I've always thought that we have a lot of hidden poverty in Bloomington. Um, when I was with Habitat, we used to do um, tours for our new volunteers, and I was really surprised that um, many people, um, not just students, but longtime residents of Bloomington, when we took them um, through neighborhoods where we were building houses um, and uh, you know showed them some of our projects, they had never been to those parts of town, and um, and then. There's also um, the poverty that really isn't talked about, which is the number of people that are um, sort of invisibly homeless. Um, they're they're sleeping on couches and they're um, they're staying with friends in a rotating basis. Um, I th I think we should be concerned about our poverty levels and. Um, and work to increase those wages. And um, it's, you know, our poverty is not because people don't wanna work. Um, it's because many people are, um, are underemployed here. And um, when we talk about this kind of cluster development where you can attract a company um, or develop a startup here, you get that C-suite level and you get the middle managers and you get the, um, you know, the, the entry level jobs. Um, that's a really, that's a really critical ecosystem for our economy. And it's critical for many reasons, but part of the reason that it's so critical is because uh, many of us are concerned that we lose the 25 to 35 year olds um, here in Bloomington because they get to the age where they're done with um, their first job out of college and they're ready to move up the chain, but there's nowhere to move. Mm -hmm. 
And so they, you know, they end up having to leave Bloomington because they can't make any more money because they can't advance at the place where they are. And they may be ready to um, buy a house, but they can't afford to at their current income level. Okay. So, you know, when we get back to that, that cluster development, that's how we're going to start to alleviate poverty. All right. Thank you. I want to shift gears real quickly, um, just make sure that we fit in uh, another listener question. Uh, this listener wants to know uh, how you plan to handle relations with IU um, and where do you see opportunities for cooperation or potential conflict? Oh, what a great question. Um, so I'm I'm really excited to develop a um, a great city university relationship and um you know to be clear we have many city employees that are um that are already uh through their work working with uh various levels of uh university employees and um you know i think one of the things that's been missing is is a shared vision for what our city needs to be um so that the city can thrive and the university can thrive. Um, when we get to that, then um, then we we lift the whole boat together. Um, so I I see that we have um, some great collaboration actually already started in this innovation space. The university has been um, very actively engaged with um, folks at the mill, and um, as they have started their um, IU Innovates program. Um, they've been um, just frankly embedded with our um, teams at the mill and our various uh, entrepreneurs over there and are, are really engaged. The 2030 plan at IU Bloomington um, calls for having all of those students have um, real, real working experience uh, learning uh, in, in community-based um, scenarios. And so um, I think that we have a lot of common ground and, um, you know, we will, I'm sure we will have uh, challenges along the way, but I think that we have much more in common than we do uh, have differences at this point. I want to follow up with a question I told you I was going to ask you, and that's relationships with the state. You know, we're, we're facing another issue where the state legislature has come in and said, well, we don't like um, Bloomington's animal ordinance, which won't allow dogs and cats to be sold at, at pet stores. This is not the first time the state has decided that something that Bloomington did because they thought it was good for Bloomington didn't fit with the uh, state's um, vision. So, you know, how how do you work with the state to try to make sure that that home rule actually uh, carries the day here in Bloomington? Well, I think as with any other relationship, you stay in active conversation <laughs> with them uh, and don't just show up when you have a problem. Um, I do want to express my deep thanks to um, Shelly Yoder and Matt Pierce, who are doing this state work every day and representing Bloomington really well. Um, I'm really grateful to have them up there, and I've been in, in good touch with them. Um, and, you know, as we move forward, um, I think that we can find some wins with the state, uh, especially on economic development. Um, Bloomington should be, and I think will be, a, a um, part of their vision for um, getting great companies to be in Indiana. Um, I think that that comes, you know, those relationships can also come with some expectation that we can have the hard conversations about um, what it really means to have home rule and, um, you know, uh, the the republicans say that they like less government and um less government i think means that we get to do um good work at the municipal level that is appropriate for our communities mm -hmm. uh, we only have a couple of minutes to go so one question i want to ask you is about you know you you have talked a lot about the fact that you want to engage the community in conversations I, and I want to. I guess my question is, how are you planning on doing that? And then, how are you going to keep things moving at a reasonably quick pace if there are a lot of conversations 
about all the issues? Yes. So, um, you know, the, the key to these conversations, Bob, is that you have them before you have a proposal. Um, the, the challenge has been that we're floating proposals before the community has any input. And that actually is slower than moving slow at the outset, getting the input that you need, and then putting the proposal together. Mm -hmm. um, and it also is more expensive uh, if you put the proposal together first and then have to go back to the drawing board. Um, so the the key to this, and and um, you know, I think it'll it'll be a learning curve for us all. Um, the key to this is how do we actually get people to show up? Uh, ahead of time before there's a yes or no vote. Um, and we just had some interns here that made some recommendations about how to do that. Um, but then the next thing is you can't just listen, you have to act. Um, and so we, you know, we listen, we discern, then we lead. And um, that is what I have been doing already in the first you have the count, I don't, 26 days. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what I intend to keep doing. Um, you know, it's it's been important to me to um, get this financial audit done. And we're uh, talking to some firms now about getting a price to get that done. Um, we need to get, get our level set on these capital projects that we've discussed. And then we need to move forward. Uh, and we need to move forward with confidence that we've done the listening. And um, that doesn't mean that uh, we can't correct uh, midway if there's something that's not going well, uh, but that we have uh, community support in how we're moving forward. Mayor Kerry Thompson, thank you very much for being here with us today. I know you have a meeting at 1 o'clock, and we'll get you there on time. So thanks, Kerry. Thank you so much. All right. I want to thank uh, Lucas Gonzalez, my co-host today, as well as Mike Paskash, our engineer, and Nathan Moore, our producer. For Noon Edition, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from Bloomington Health Foundation, providing financial support to the community for 55 years, promoting healthier lives and the advancement of future health care in our region, working together for a healthier tomorrow. More at bloomhf.org and from Estate and Downsizing Specialists, LLC, offering complete turnkey service for estate and downsizing clients, from initial consultation through home cleanout to final real estate and personal property sales. More at edsindiana.com.